So we can see that the Israelites are literally stuck between a rock and a hard place. They're trying to make sense of life out in the wilderness. God actually told his people back in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 to 14, it says, the Lord said to him, talking to Abram, Abraham, who would become Abraham, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. So as a part of the history of Israel, that this kind of thing would happen, and yet life isn't making a whole lot of sense out in the wilderness. And in some ways, they're feeling stuck. When I was in the fifth grade, this giant storm blew through Southern California called El Nino. And I'll never forget El Nino because as a, as a fifth grader, I remember our teachers telling us, next week, you cannot come to school. Don't come to school at all next week because our rooms are going to be flooded. The cafeteria is going to be flooded. It's going to be too crazy. Stay home. But what is it about the fact that whenever somebody tells you not to do something, what do you want to do? You want to go do it, right? So I remember the next day, my friend Adam and Kevin and I got together, and we decided we were going to go to school when nobody else was there. And in the middle of this downpour of rain, we were going to play football. We were going to throw the football to each other. We were going to get muddy. We were going to have the best time of our lives. And so that morning, we woke up at Adam's house, and, and I remember we put on these, 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 these starch white shirts, bright white shirts, because we wanted to see the mud and all the glory from our time out on the field. And then we put on our, our shorts, and these are the kind of shorts that we got from playing sports uh, in our city, and maybe you've seen these shorts. They're the kind of shorts that fit really comfortably on you, but, but they're also stretchy so you could fit like a whole village. Like, you know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? You know those, like the real stretchy shorts? So, so we got our big stretchy shorts on, we got our white t-shirts, and we're going out into the field, and we have the time of our lives out there. We're throwing the football, we're tackling each other. I mean, it was amazing. Until all of a sudden, all the way at the other end of the field, we heard that sound that we had grown to dread. It was the sound of our yard duty ladies whistle. Anybody got yard duty ladies at your school or you remember having yard duty ladies? Back at, at our school, we had this yard duty lady who would just kind of make sure all of us were safe, but, but she was kind of mean and, and we, we didn't really like her that much. And this was before I was a Christian, so don't judge me for this, but, but she, her name was Mary and so we called her Bloody Mary. That's just what we called her, okay? And we called her, we called her Bloody Mary because we believed that she ate children. We're like, that's just what she did. She ate kids because she was mean. So anyways, all of a sudden we're over here and Bloody Mary blows her whistle and we all of a sudden are terrified because we look around and we realize there are no other students, there are no other teachers, there are no parents around. This is the perfect moment for Bloody Mary to attack us, right? Like this is when it's going to happen. 
So we start running. The only option for us, the only exit for us is to jump over this person's backyard fence into their lawn and then we'll be scot-free. And so first is Kevin and Kevin runs up and Kevin was a really tall kid. He's, he's a really strong kid. And so Kevin climbs up the fence and almost in like one big jump, he gets to the top of the fence and he jumps over and he's fine. The next up was Adam. And Adam was a little bit shorter, but he had older brothers and, and you know, he was kind of strong. And, and so he, he runs up to the fence and it takes him a little bit more time, but he climbs and he eventually jumps over the fence and he's on the other side and he's free. And then next up is me. And I start running and I can, I can see bloody Mary behind me. I can see like the fangs from her teeth protruding. You know what I mean? Like it's happening. And I start running. And I get to that fence and I start climbing. And right as I'm about to jump over that fence, I need to tell you something about this fence. It was one of those kinds that had, had the kind of the pole at the top, the bar at the top, and then it had like the little triangles at the top. You know what I mean? We've all seen those. So I get to the top of the fence. And I remember like looking back and being like, ha ha, right? Because I thought I got Bloody Mary. And I grabbed the top. I jump over, and you remember, you remember those shorts that I was talking about? You remember the big old shorts? I go, I go on the other side of that fence, and I think I've made it until all of a sudden something very uncomfortable happens. All of a sudden, my shorts begin to rise on my legs, okay? And the white glory is shining for the whole world to see, and all of a sudden... All of a sudden, I realize I am experiencing a mega wedgie, okay? Like, I'm literally hanging on this fence. Now, I had two friends who had already landed. When you're in a situation like this, what do good friends do? What do they do? They laugh at you. They laugh at you. And so they're laughing, having the time of their lives. And I literally remember being stuck on this fence. I couldn't get down as much as I wanted. I was literally stuck on this fence. Now, let me spiritualize this for a second. Sometimes we will go through circumstances, situations, experiences that we would have never wanted to go through, but because we went through them, we'll find ourselves stuck. We'll find ourselves incapable of moving forward. We'll find ourselves asking lots of questions and feeling like we're just paralyzed. And tonight, as we talk about God's sovereignty, which we're going to define in a minute, there may be some of you that are asking the question, okay, so God is sovereign, but I, because of the struggles I have, because of the things going on in my family, because of the doubts and questions, because of the things that have happened these past few years, I just feel stuck. So how can God be sovereign and I be stuck at the same time? And what I hope to do together during our time for just a few minutes is to look at a story where Jesus encounters a woman who's stuck. And because of his sovereignty, she gets unstuck. 
And maybe, just maybe, tonight it will be through a conversation about God's sovereignty that you also get unstuck. Oh, open with me in your Bibles to uh, John chapter 4. John chapter 4, and while you're flipping there, A.W. Tozer, this brilliant thinker, Christian pastor, writer, he, he, he said this about God's sovereignty. He said, God's sovereignty is the attribute by which he rules his entire creation. And to be sovereign, which I love that he defines it here because I've heard that word before and maybe you've heard that word before, but, but sometimes we need some kind of guardrails to sort of grab onto to go, okay, what does that word mean? I want you to write this down in your notes. This is what he says. He said, and to be sovereign, God must be all-knowing, all-powerful, and absolutely free. I want you to write those three things down. God's, God's sovereignty, God being sovereign, means that he is all-knowing, that he is all-powerful, and that he is absolutely free. Students, tonight I want to give you four big ideas, and you can write this down at the top to kind of set the stage for where we're going. When I'm stuck, go ahead and write this down. When I'm stuck, Jesus will always do four things. When I'm stuck, Jesus will always do four things. Now, remembering what Tozer said, that God is sovereign means he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, and he's absolutely free. Let's look together. Let's discover together how God's sovereignty in Jesus shows up in a real historical moment with this woman and how it helps her get unstuck. Big idea number one, go ahead and write this down, one of four. Big idea number one is this. When I'm stuck, Jesus will always take the first step. When I'm stuck, Jesus will always take the first step. John chapter one, or John Chapter 4, verse 1 begins like this. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now this really isn't a part of the sermon, but this just kind of stood out to me. You know what I love about Jesus? He is like anti-drama. Like he is not about the drama, right? These Pharisees are starting to turn things up. They're, starting to, they're trying to stir something up. They're trying to build some tension between the Pharisees, between Jesus, between the disciples, and between John the Baptist. They're trying to mess things up. And Jesus is like, dude, I'm not playing that game. In fact, Jesus is like, my life and what I'm doing here is far too important than to be messing with drama. And I don't know who this is for right now, but maybe, maybe you're one of those people that, that you just stir up drama, that the friend groups you go to, the people you hang out with, you just stir up drama. And one of the reasons we stir up drama is because we haven't yet discovered a greater purpose for our lives. That if you're somebody stirring up drama, it's because you haven't discovered a better purpose for your life. Jesus, living fully on purpose, doesn't have time for the drama. Verse 4, 
This is a really interesting verse. Now he had to go through Samaria. We're going to come back to that, but remember that. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sechar near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. This is an awesome story, you guys. It says in our text that Jesus had to go through Samaria. At this time, at this moment in history, a Jew would never have traveled through Samaria. In fact, if a Jew was trying to go from Judea to Galilee, from Judea to Galilee, the way that Jesus was, the typical path took about six days, and you would go north to Jericho, you would cross the Jordan River, and then you would continue north. That's how good Jews would travel from Judea to Galilee. It was six days, but there was a shorter, less common path from Judea to Galilee that only took three days. It only took half the amount of time, but it required you to go through Samaria. Now, the reason Jews didn't want to go through Samaria is because there were literally hundreds of years of prejudice, of racism, and hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. These were two people groups that did not ever, 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 ever get along. But the text says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. This would have, this would have just been such a challenging concept for his disciples to understand. But remember how we learned that that sovereignty, God's sovereignty, means that he's absolutely free. Jesus is so absolutely free that he will go to Samaria even when everything else in his life tells him, don't go to Samaria. That Jesus is on a mission that no one else in his culture and his disciples can even process or understand. And when he gets to Samaria, he meets a woman. And he meets a woman who's at this well at noon in the middle of the day. Now, this is an important detail because women at that time would go to the well to draw water early in the morning and late in the evening for two reasons. Number one, that's when all the other women went, and so it was, it was a time for socializing. And number two, those were the coolest times of the day, and so it was much easier to walk with the water in the cool of the morning or in the cool of the evening. But this woman is not at the well during those hours. She she is at the well in the middle of the day with nobody else. This means that, that something has happened. Something has transpired in her community, in her village, to which she has been outcasted. To which she has decided it's better for me to go in the middle of the day, in the hottest part of the day, when nobody else is there. In other words... 
Some would look at this story and say Jesus was at the wrong place, Samaria. He was there at the wrong time, noon, and he was definitely talking to the wrong person, a Samaritan woman. And yet because Jesus is sovereign, because God is sovereign, because he is absolutely free, Jesus had to go through Samaria. You see, again, we talked about this a little bit last night, but it's easy for us to think, oh man, God only loves the religious people or the people who have it all together. But if Jesus was willing to go out of his cultural way to meet this Samaritan woman that would have caused everyone around him to ask lots of questions and probably suggest lots of false accusations about Jesus. He was willing to do all of that to show her how much he loved her, then surely he is doing the same thing for you and I right now. When you and I are stuck, when you and I are looking at the circumstances of our lives and things don't make sense and we feel like we're wandering in the wilderness, we need to remember that Jesus will always take the first step to pursue us. This is why it's so important to be reading your Bibles. This is why it's so important to be listening to worship music. This is why it's so importantly to be engaged in your Bible classes and talking with your teachers, being active in your church. It is in these contexts and in these environments that even though you feel stuck, you'll experience Jesus taking the first step. You'll recognize that he is absolutely free to do whatever he wants and yet he chooses to pursue you and I. Point number two is this, when I'm stuck, Jesus will always speak the truth. Point number two, write this down. When I'm stuck, Jesus will always speak the truth. The story gets a whole lot more interesting. Check out this. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. I mean, she's, I, mean, I don't know if she's mocking Jesus or I don't know what, but she, she's like, Jesus, this is not making any sense. And then he says this, he told her, Go call your husband and come back. To which she quickly replied, I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Dang, Jesus, right? Dude, he's dropping the mic at this moment.
Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Notice how she kind of wants to sidestep that conversation. She's like, Jesus, I don't want to talk about my personal life. let's, Let's have a theological conversation. But friends, when you and I are stuck, Jesus will always speak the truth because he's sovereign and he's all-knowing. This is a big idea. There is a ginormous cultural argument right now happening about truth. What determines what's true and what's not true? God, sovereign Jesus, he's all-knowing so he can see the whole picture when you and I can oftentimes only see part of the picture. Jesus, knowing the sin in her life, he, he just says it. He just calls it out. Instead of beating around the bush or instead of ignoring it, he says, we're going to have an honest conversation. Because remember, I pursued you first. I took the first step. We're going to have an honest conversation about your life and what's going on right now. But here's what you need to know. Your brokenness is known by God. And at the same time, you are safe in his hands. Your brokenness, your sin God knows all of it. Every thought that you're going, oh, I'm so glad I've never said that. I'm so glad nobody else ever knows about that. God knows about that. He is sovereign. He is all-knowing. Your brokenness, your sin is completely known by God, but at the same time, you are safe in his hands. Why do I say that? Because Jesus knows these things about this woman, but twice he tells her the good news. Twice he tells her, I've come to give you living water. And he wants to give her living water, but in order to do so, he's got to address the mess in her life. God wants to give you living water. He wants you to be free. He wants you to experience his forgiveness. He wants to transform you and make you more like himself. I mean, he's got a great purpose and a plan for your life. But in order to get there, he's got to address what currently is. In other words, students, Jesus loves you so much that he'll meet you where you're at, but he loves you too much to leave you there. That Jesus loves you so much, and he loves me so much that he will meet me right where I am. That's what he did with this woman. He met her at noon, at the well, all the sin, all the stuff. He met her where she's at, and he meets you and I where we're at, but he loves us too much to leave us there. In order to get from where you're at to where God wants to take you, he's got to be able to confront what is right now. I think of the words in Psalm 139 where David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. 
Verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know that full well. The first part of this psalm says that there's literally no place you and I can go from God's presence. And then it says that he knit us together. When I was in junior high, there were different elective classes that we could take. And, and one of the elective classes that I chose to sign up for, there was like wood shop and there was metal and, and there was like a cooking class. And then there was this sewing class. And the sewing class, I had no interest in sewing, but I knew that the class had like only girls signed up for it. So I was like, my odds are good. Like my odds are good if I sign up for this class. So I sign up for this class and I'm thinking, I'm just going to spend the whole class talking to all these cute girls and get their phone numbers and it's going to be awesome. That is not what happened because I realized sewing is way more stressful, way more detailed, way more intense than I ever thought it was. In fact, our final project was literally, we had to sew a pillow together. We had, to, we had to stuff a pillow and sew it together. I spent the entire semester like poking my fingers, like bleeding, trying to sew this stupid pillow together. I didn't even notice any of the girls around me. I was literally just sewing the whole time. What I learned from that experience was that if you're going to sew something, if you're going to knit something together, it's going to require a lot of attention, time, love, investment, and purpose. And the Bible says that that is how God made you. Some of you may for some reason believe that you're an accident, that you're a waste of space, that you shouldn't even be here. And I'm, I'm sorry for anyone who's experienced that, and, and I'm so sorry for the people who may have told you that or made you feel that way. But the Bible, which is the most true thing in the world, tells you and I that we are not an accident, that we are not a mistake, that we didn't just randomly show up here, but that God knit you purposefully and intentionally together because he, he loves you. And because he loves you, he's going to tell you the truth. Point number three is this. When I'm stuck, when I'm stuck, Jesus will always make room for me. Big idea number three. When I'm stuck, Jesus will always make room for me. Watch where the story goes. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks." God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us, which is like the best setup for Jesus, right? He's like, oh, I knew you were going to say that. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And you guys, this thought just came into my mind as I read that. 
There are so many times in the Gospels where Jesus tells people, hey, don't, don't, don't spread the news about me yet. Wait. Or there's so many times in the Gospels where people are trying to peg Jesus down as, okay, are you this, are you that? And he isn't always as clear as he is in this moment. In other words, this woman who had five men she had been in relationships with, who was at the well at noon, who was a Samaritan, who by all accounts within their culture and their day, Jesus and her had no business being in the same space. It is to that woman that Jesus chooses to fully reveal himself to. He didn't say to her, well, I'm not going to tell you exactly who I am until you prove to me that you're going to leave your life of sin. He says, I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Jesus made room for this woman, even though she was stuck in her sin, and he invited her to worship God, to worship him as the Messiah. You know what our problem is? Our problem is there's, there's four things that we usually worship instead of Jesus. The first thing we try to worship, and they're all ours, you can write this down. We worship the four R's. We worship our reputation. We worship our recognition. We worship our relationships. And we worship our resources. In other words, it, it, it's easy for us to worship our reputation what others think about us, to worship our recognition, what we have accomplished, to worship our relationships, who we're with, and to worship our resources, what we have. But Jesus, he invited this woman to worship her Redeemer, to worship the one true God. Remember how Jesus showed that he was absolutely free when he went to Samaria. He's sovereign. Remember when Jesus showed that he was all-knowing? He knew exactly what was going on in her life. Well, Jesus here demonstrates that he's all-powerful. How is he all-powerful? Only he could bring Jews and Samaritans together. Only Jesus had the power to bring these two groups that hated each other together. You see, Jesus is sovereign. He is all powerful. And then lastly, point number four is this. When I'm stuck, Jesus will always bring purpose out of my pain. When I'm stuck, Jesus will always bring purpose out of my pain. Look at how the story concludes in verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. 
He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. This is an incredible story. Jesus goes to Samaria. No Jew would have ever wanted to be anywhere near Samaria. And not only does he go there, but he stays there. He stays there. And he takes this woman's pain, her sin, all the mess of her life, and he brings purpose out of it. I mean, many people believed because of her boldness, because she was willing to talk about her life. In other words, students, if you want to have influence, if you want to have significance, it will not come from you showing the world what you have on. It will come from you showing the world what he has done in you. True influence and greatness in the upside-down kingdom of God does not come from you curating an image to show to the world of how great you are and how well you have it together. True influence will come when you allow God to use your pain, to use your hurt, to use your struggles, to use your story, to use the parts of your life that you'd rather nobody else see. If you will allow God to use all of those parts of your life to point people to him, not to point people to yourself, but to point people to the healing work that he's done in your life, oh, you'll experience purpose out of your pain. Let me just close with this story. My wife and I were up here at Hume Lake for our eight-year wedding anniversary. So we've been married 12 years now, so this was four years ago. Yep, cool, 12 years. On our eight-year anniversary, we were up here with a group of students, which is always awesome. It's exactly what I envisioned when I got married, that I'd be able to celebrate every wedding anniversary with hundreds of students. It's the dream come true. It's, it's just, it's what you hope for. And uh, we're up here with a group of students, and we get away for one afternoon to have a lunch together, to have kind of a date to celebrate our anniversary. And, and during this, during the drive to our lunch spot, we decide, hey, let's make a list of the eight great things that we've seen God do in our marriage over these last eight years. And through the whole dinner we're kind of, or lunch, we're kind of talking and, and trying to strategize, okay, what, is the, what, what are those eight things that we have seen God use and do through our marriage? And the most surprising thing happened for us. Six of those eight things, when we were going through them, were really, really hard painful, challenging. We felt stuck and we wanted to get out of it as quickly as possible. But after some time had passed, when we looked back, it was precisely those hard things that turned out to be great things, that turned out to be life-changing So we can't always explain why we are experiencing the things we're experiencing right now. 
And some of you are going through really, really hard things right now. And all I can tell you is God is with you. And God is sovereign. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. And he's absolutely free. And I believe that even though you're stuck right now, that if you choose to cling to Jesus, he will take the first step. He will speak truth. He will make room for you, and he will bring purpose out of your pain because that is something only a sovereign God can do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each one of these students, and I thank you for our time in your word tonight. And God, I pray that you would take this message of this story of this woman that you, Jesus, met as you traveled through Samaria and that that you would help us to see the connection between her life and our life. And God, I pray that, especially for those right now that are doubting you, that are struggling with you, that are wrestling, that are feeling like like the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, We, we just feel stuck. I pray, God, that we would experience you taking the first step and pursuing us. That we would open ourselves up to you speaking truth to us. Maybe there's things going on in us that that you want to change, that you want to work out, you want to meet us where we're at, but you don't want to leave us there. God, I pray that we would experience you making room for us with all of our doubts and fears and uncertainties. And then God, even when we're stuck, would you bring purpose from our pain? Thank you that you're sovereign. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.